This is the American Cattlemen Podcast. Great to have you with us. Just ahead in this, the launch of ACP, you'll hear a bit of cattle news, a conversation with the founder of the American Cattlemen Magazine, Gail McKinney, as to why we're doing this and how we hope to help. Then, Nate Smith from Top Dollar Angus joins us to talk about creating high-quality value. In our breed segment, we visit with Clint Rusk from the American International Charlet Association. And Chap will close the gate with singer-songwriter Ned Ledoux, who's following in his father's footsteps. The American Cattlemen Podcast is being brought to you by Rawhide Portable Corrals, Central Life Science, Therapies from Pharaoh Cattle, and TYM Tractors. Now, here's your host, Chap Ramsey. Thanks, Hunter. And this is the American Cattlemen Podcast. Great to have you with us. And yeah, we're on social media. Just look for us at American Cattlemen. In the news, the hot and dry weather in the Southwest has had a major impact on cattle herds and cattle futures, which is the price of cattle one, two, or three months away. Market Watch is reporting that cattle futures have climbed to their highest level on record as drought conditions in the southwestern U.S. have devastated the animals' feeding grounds, contributing to a drop in the size of the domestic cattle herd to its smallest in eight years. According to the USDA Cattle Report, the U.S. cattle and calves inventory as of January 1 of this year totaled 89.3 million head. That's down 3% from January 1st of 2022, and that's the smallest number since 2015. As the supply shrinks and if demand stays level, look for beef prices at the supermarket to climb once again. And while some prices on the packer side fell recently, there were some higher prices that rolled in thanks to Father's Day activities, and packers are hoping to hold the increase. Drovers is reporting packers will look at keeping prices under control, waiting for more inventory and biding their time to the 4th of July, and into the 4th of July when demand will once again increase. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association is reporting that the House Appropriations Committee advanced the fiscal year 2024 Agriculture, Rural Development, Food, and Drug Administration Appropriations Bill to the full House of the Representatives for a vote. Amendments can still be added on the House floor, and the Senate must still release and pass their own appropriation bills, but this current House bill contains big wins for the U.S. cattle producers on animal disease traceability and government overreach fronts. Hey, because we want to keep you informed about upcoming stories in the print edition of the American Cattleman magazine, know that we're going to be talking about safety factors when it comes to handling cattle. That's some great advice from folks who know. Also, should you be weaning your calves at an earlier age? The article talks to the benefits and the pitfalls of early weaning. And yeah, it is hot. Millions of beef cattle in the U.S. suffer from heat stress during summer months in regions with hot human environments. We all know what that's like. And it reduces production and profit because heat-stressed animals, well, you know, they don't gain well. And high temperatures can also hinder fertility. There are several ways to manage stress and try to keep cattle cooler. The only real solution comes through genetics. They say a more heat-tolerant animal that can handle these environments and do well. That story in detail in the upcoming edition of the American Cattleman. Speaking of the American Cattleman magazine, 
Up next is a conversation with a founder, Gail McKinney, who comes at this as a producer and is no stranger to the business of agriculture. That interview is next as the American Cattleman podcast continues. Check out this new and improved classic model from Rawhide Portable Corrals. It's got a number of advantages and features you'll love. This Rawhide Corral is a throwback to our old style and can be purchased as either a bumper pole or gooseneck design. Check out our website for all of our current models at rawhideportablecorrals.com or call 785-263-3436. Welcome to American Cattlemen. So grateful that you are with us today. In this, the inaugural broadcast, and our guest is the Chief Executive Officer of Twin Rivers Media. His name's Gail McKinney, and he is the publisher of a magazine called American Cattlemen, but he is more than that. He has a long history in agriculture. Hey, Gail, welcome to American Cattlemen Podcast. First time, babe. There we go. Hey, Chap. Good to be here. Yeah, it's you know you and I have full disclosure known each other for a long time. Uh, run the roads together, and uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a wild ride for a number of years. Uh, but we're not here to reminisce. Of, although we could, <laughs> and this would turn into a whole yeah, different. Probably kind of, not good. Yeah, probably not good. There's uh, stories out there that would curl your toes, ladies and gentlemen. But anyway, what what is America? First of all, let's start at the very beginning. You're a farm kid from Southwest Iowa. Yep, grew up in Creston area, uh, South Central Iowa. Uh, Farmed my entire life until I was about 25, 26 years old, and I yeah. hit 1980. And for a lot of the folks out there, they know what that meant. Uh, but yeah, we raised purebred Angus cattle, farmed a lot of acres back then. Um, lifetime member of the American Angus Association. I'm still farm boy at heart. Just got a little little land in southern Iowa and enjoy what I do. Yeah, and uh, full disclosure, uh, Gail went out to school and became a CPA. Yep, <laughs> certified public accountant. What is yeah, that? I know, I know. You never Wait, thought that. Well, you got to count those cattle. That's right. That's yeah, <laughs> one, two, three. All right. Hey, we still got them all in the pen. Um, so, so, as a lover of agriculture, and I know you are because I've watched your career for decades, and uh, you were fortunate enough to get American cattlemen off the ground. First of all, that is a great nameplate. How'd you get that? Well. It, it was really kind of by luck. Um, the magazine actually started out probably almost 30 years ago mm. as Cattleman's Hotline uh, with another organization. Uh, but we thought that that just had, you know, that ring to it that, uh, you know, American cattlemen are the, the seed of this of this industry. And they're just so important to not, not, just, not just the cattle industry, not just farming, but to the whole food chain. And beef was an important thing. And so we wanted to serve U.S. cattlemen. And we just thought, American, what's better than that? Right. American cattlemen is a title, and we've embraced that ever since. Yeah, and it's it's gotten a wild following out there. There's a lot of people that not only subscribe to your magazine. Uh, does it go into Canada, just out of curiosity? Yeah, we do have some Canadian subscribers. Uh, we do have some Canadian members on Facebook. Uh, Facebook just blew up on us about oh, six, seven years ago. Uh, of course, the algorithms were a little bit easier at that time. 
Uh, but we have over 450,000 followers wow. on Facebook. And uh, we fully believe and have done surveys that about 80 to 85% of those are cow-calf producers. So big following. Yeah, speaking of cow-calf producers, that is such a changing dynamic today. Uh, you know, NCBA and our other friends out there, the Iowa Cattlemen's Association, and we can go on and on and on. Uh, they're really intent on uh, bringing to market quality beef, and at the same time, there's changing demographics and changing consumer issues about beef, right? Very, very much so, and, and the industry itself has recognized that. And to be honest, probably didn't recognize that 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, maybe even five, I don't mm. know. And it's still not not for everybody today. But those producers that really recognize the fact that it is the consumer that's going to drive their industry into the future have started to embrace that, looked at different ways of marketing. Uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, from pasture to plate uh, there's so many in the industry right on. now. Yeah, it's very, 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 very changing industry. You know, I've told people for years, Gail, that, uh, you know, they look at agriculture. Some folks look at agriculture and they say, hey, how backward an industry is that? But there's no other industry, I believe, in this country or others that is as innovative in bringing new things to market and machinery and all kinds of, of, of products and services to the, uh, to the producer than agriculture. Yeah, that that's so right. Agriculture is a, a driver of technology, always has been, probably not recognized as a driver of technology, but it always has been. I, I mean, from drones to apps to, to weigh systems that you don't even have to physically have a scale, everything is happening in the cow-calf industry, and it's moving forward with technology. Gail McKinney's our guest in this, the inaugural conversation about American Cattlemen, the magazine, and now the podcast. We are sitting in a little cafe here and uh, in the center of Iowa and, and not many people in yet, but lunchtime has not yet commenced. So we'll get into that in just a little bit. What, what about the target? Why, why, why do we get the fact that the magazine has a really specific niche? Correct. Right? Yep. So you're now launching a podcast and thank you <laughs> for inviting <laughs> me along. But why? What, what, what do you think you're going to be able to bring to the American cattlemen, your subscribers, and others that might be interested in what we're doing in the cow-calf industry. Sure. Chap, we we look at ourselves as being totally focused on cow-calf producers. Uh, and as that industry changed, we just talked about technology. You have to embrace all different types of, of mediums to reach those people. Now, we're not the first cow calf podcast and we know there are others out there we just hope to bring a little bit different look at this uh our our publications our our social media sites are focused more on the producer to the product and so we won't always have the we won't always have the cutting edge article on on disease or on gestation or feed any of those items but we will have that ability to bring to you cost-effective marketing and taking that to the cow-calf producer you know one of the other things i think knowing how you have been instrumental in so many things in the cow-calf industry with american cattlemen the magazine is that you also like to have fun 
Yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this this is not going to be one of those podcasts that's pretty dry. I mean, we're, we're intending to build some things here that's going to be enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, you're exactly right. We, we don't want to just regurgitate information. Uh, we want to provide something new, uh, some fun along the way, maybe even a little music toward the tail end. Uh, we, just, we just really want to make this different. And, and we need to know what that is. We need to know what, what the listeners want. And to that point, every time this podcast is going out, and, and you've got multiple ways in which people can access this information, uh, when this goes out to people, you know, you're always asking for their feedback. Because clearly, you're not setting yourself up as the experts in everything. But you want to hear what your audience wants, and that's the sign of, of good business. You, you need to know what the consumer wants. That's exactly right. The experts are sitting out there right now, you know, driving cattle, sorting cattle, having babies right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, tons, of, tons of little calves hitting the ground in the same, from the same side. All these industry vendors and providers who, who know what to do. That's not me. But what I can do is help bring that together. And on the technology side, you can be out there calving calves or out there sorting or vaccinating whatever it happens to be on the ranch or the farm and you can listen to this in your earbuds or however else you get it yep anytime you want yeah (laughs) and 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 again nobody's got to sit around wait until 12 o'clock noon for the show to be on the radio you can take it with you yep exactly this is this is it (laughs) yeah and uh, let's talk a little bit about uh structure uh, you know, we've sat and we've talked about this show for a long time. Yes, sir. <laughs> it's just, I think we go back maybe a year or so ago that we started talking about putting something together. And the structure of the show is going to be important. It's not going to drone on for an hour and a half. You know, they're going to be relatively short segments, a couple of interviews, maybe some news notes. We're going to close the corral gate at the end. Uh, I, I just think... People are going to be having fun with this and while they learn something at the same time. I agree, and I, I just really look forward to just a wide array of people for, for you to talk to and, and to interview. Uh, we have people anxious to do this. We have people anxious for a new format in podcast in, in this industry. And, uh, again, you said, it, you said it best. They can tell us hmm. what they really want to hear and see, you know, so that's, that's what we hope for. Gail McKinney is the CEO of Twin Rivers Media. That's the uh, production uh, organization that puts on the American Cattlemen and now the American Cattlemen podcast. Final question for you, Gail, as we sit here with a cup of coffee and a little bit of water. There's nothing in that water, by the way. No bourbon. No. What favorite bourbon? Driftless Glen. What now? Driftless Glen, aged. Yeah, it's yeah. aged about a five-year bourbon. Made in, actually, not in the bourbon capital of the world, that's for sure, but in, in Wisconsin. Oh, really? Yeah, in Baraboo area, yeah. But it's, just try it, folks. It's a great <laughs> bourbon. Give it a chance. <laughs> and I imagine you could get, can you get that all over? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, it's just a good small batch bourbon. Yeah. There you go. Well, see, now you've got a tip that you can act on, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Gail McKinney says that is the bourbon of choice. Gail, thanks so much for sitting down with us and uh, talking about the American Cattlemen podcast and all the things that you've got in line for this. I I wish you well because I'm going to come along for the ride anyway, and we'll see how all this uh, uh, transpires. And, And as you learn from the people that you're podcasting to or that are listening to this, 
uh, I know we'll have discussions about what they like and what they don't like. Yeah, that's exactly right. I got to watch myself. <laughs> <laughs> Chap, thanks for thanks for doing this for us. I, hey, you know, this is near and dear to my heart. I have been to NCBA a number of times, you know, rodeoed a little bit in my youth. And uh, this is really just a pleasure for me to sit down and talk about uh, cattle production in the United States and around the world. You'll be surprised how many people in Europe will be listening to this and saying, well, I didn't know those folks knew that kind of stuff. <laughs> so it'll be fun. Gail, thanks. You're welcome. Gail McKinney and why the American Cattleman Magazine and now the American Cattleman Podcast. Next up, what's it worth for you to be in the top 25% when it comes to feeder calves? That's a question that Nate Smith from Top Dollar Angus is going to answer next as the American Cattleman Podcast continues. Don't waste valuable time tending to back rubbers and ear tags. Stop letting horn flies harm your cattle and your profits. With Altacid IGR, you'll get consistent horn fly control without changing what you're already doing, feeding your cattle. With this pre-mixed feed-through, you won't be measuring fly control into cattle minerals. You'll be measuring added weight gains. Altacid IGR passes through cattle into manure where horn flies lay eggs, preventing adult flies that interfere with cattle health and profitability. Turn to Altacid IGR for horn fly control year after year to stop changing fly products each season. And like ear tags and sprays that require the effort of handling cattle, Altacid IGR spreads as your cattle grazes. With no known resistance, Altacid IGR is the proven choice in fly control. Go to the IGR that delivers the most ROI. Contact your feed dealer today or go to altacidigr.com. Hey, welcome back to the American Cattleman Podcast. My name is Chap Ramsey, and with me is Nate Smith from Top Dollar Angus. We're going to be talking about what that is, what's involved, how long they've been around, and what their goal is. Nate, welcome to the American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you with us. Thanks, Chap. It's a pleasure to be on with you this morning. Well, I, I, I'm talking to you. You're in Kansas, uh, but where is Top Dollar Angus? Where's home? Well, home for myself is here in Kansas, Pratt, halfway between Dodge City and Wichita. But our actual headquarters and some of our office space is in Brighton, Colorado. Nice. All right. Talk to me a little bit about what is Top Dollar Angus. Top Dollar Angus is the first company that verifies feeder cattle to be in the top 25% for growth and carcass traits via genetics, looking at EPDs or other genetic data that producers provide to us. And how long have you guys been in business? Uh, since 2014, our founder, Tom Brink, started the business then with an idea that had never been brought into the industry um, after a long um, career in the industry, in the beef processing world, as well as in the beef breed association world. So what's the, what's the benefit that uh, Top Dollar Angus takes to the producer? So what we really bring to the table is, is we have lots of producers in the industry that are going out and purchasing 
bulls that are in the higher percentiles for carcass traits and growth based on off EPDs. And until we came along, there was no way for those commercial producers to leverage the fact that they're purchasing those genetics. Because, yep, moving forward from there, the way that we actually help to create value is that we go in and we evaluate commercial cattle based off of sire EPDs and the genetics attached to those. And then once they qualify, after going through our calculations in the top 25%, then we actually promote them to our feed yard clients that have interest in feeding these cattle because they bring more value and they're able to be identified as a known commodity. There's a lot of science that goes into this, yeah? Yes, there is. Um, I've always had a love for science. Prior, I'd worked for another genetics company. I'd grown up in a feed yard, understanding that data pushes the bulk of our industry. And science has always been a joy. But at the end of the day, it's really a simple science It after you're able to wrap your head around it. Right, right. And, and that's what we're trying to do is to let folks know uh, what Top Dollar Angus does so that they can wrap their head around it. And uh, maybe utilize some of the uh, ideas that you folks have. Uh, uh, Tom, right. Tom sounds like quite the entrepreneur. He is. He's been one of those that has always been a big picture thinker yeah. and has seen the power of science in the past and the power of genetics. We've seen it in other industries, and he wanted to be able to apply it to really help customers gain the value back that they're re- that they have already invested in through their bull purchases. How are you folks marketing top dollar angus? So when we market to our feed yard customers, it's based off of contacts that we've put over put together over the years. Some of those advertisements for these specific groups of cattle go out via an e-blast, but there's a large portion of them that I call The feed yards, personally, I've established relationships with them to really explain what the cattle are. They already understand the genetic standpoint because as soon as they're top 25%, that's all they've got to know. They know they're going to grade well. They know that they're going to perform well for them in the feed yard, but really some of the other smaller and still valuable pieces of that group of cattle are shared. So what's the business model for Top Dollar Angus? How do do you guys get paid? How, How does that work? So the way it works is, is that once a set of cattle has been nominated, and I guess we need to back up a little bit, we actually rely on some seed stock partners that are actual partners to provide and help increase the visibility to their commercial customers. So they start there as a partner. Um, They enroll as a partner and become a full partner after a small fee. And then after these cattle have been nominated and evaluated to make sure they qualify in the top 25% as feeder cattle. There's a verification fee to confirm that they are in that top 25% of $4 a head. And that's money in the bank. If you can be in the top 25%, isn't it? It is. We've seen over the last two years after collecting data from um, marketed cattle that have gone through the Top Dollar Angus program, whether in a sale barn or whether on superior livestock, we finally statistically calculated premiums on them. And we've seen kind of a range of $16 a head to $32 a head. 
Now, that's good, and we like to think that we can bring to that about 30 to 40%. We can't be responsible for all the premiums. The rancher still does a lot through their health programs and through their own management programs. But when we're bringing, on average, 30 bidders and having views by closer to 60, we feel that we can get at least 5 to 10 bidders to actually play on the market for that day. My guest is Nate Smith from Top Dollar Angus. Hey, Nate, final question for you, my friend. As you look to the future, what are the barriers, you think, for cattle production in the United States and uh, opportunities for Top Dollar Angus? What do you think going forward? One of the biggest barriers is that we are a very traditional-based industry. Um, uptake on some new technology can be difficult. Even myself, I have a hard time uptaking some of the new technologies in the world. But that seems to be the biggest barrier. Currently, the cattle market is showing that we have come a long ways um, to actually incorporating some of those. But the sooner we can actually take into account for genetics, for some of our other programs that are new technologies that I can't speak to but have to do with blockchain and some of those things that's going to be the biggest hurdle to get over for top dollar angus we see from a processor standpoint and even a retail case standpoint that they're able to get more value out of the hard work that the cow calf producer is doing we just need to make sure that the cow calf producer is able to verify that and let people know that they've done the they put in the hours. They've done the hard work. They've went out and purchased bulls that actually put them in this top 25%. And now it's time to promote that and make sure that as many people know about it as possible. Huh. Sounds like a exciting job for you, young man. And uh, we're grateful that you're spent some, some time with us uh, here on the American Cattleman Podcast explaining what uh, Top Dollar Angus is all about. That's uh, that, I, I'm really intrigued with the future of this program because uh, how you know how a producer can make more money with the cattle that he's got on hoof and 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 you folks are able to to, to, to certify that they're in the top 25 percent that that that's impressive my friend impressive thank you well thank you that's a very generous comment or compliment that you'd given me and really it's a fun, fun career for me um, with where I grew up at and getting to learn more. It's a daily learning curve, but I get to interact with all those great producers across the country that are working hard for us on their genetics. That once again is Nate Smith from Top Dollar Angus. All right, stay with us because coming up, we're going to be visiting in our breed section of ACP with Clint Rusk. He's the executive vice president of the American International Charlet Association. It's a breed that's on the rise for lots of reasons, and Clint will explain next on ACP. Therapies, the maternal bovine appeasing substance. This could be the most valuable calf crop in history. Get the most out of your calves, wean your calves with therapies. Studies have demonstrated that therapies calves are 30 to 40 pounds heavier 45 days post weaning. Block the stress with therapies. 
Less stress means healthier and heavier calves. Learn more at Therapies.com. That's F-E-R-A-P-P-E-A-S-E dot com. Hey there, welcome back. This is the American Cattleman Podcast. My name is Chap Ramsey and with me is Clint Rusk. Clint is the Executive Vice President of the American International Charlet Association based in the great city of Kansas City. Clint, welcome. Thank you, Chap. It's great to be with you this morning. A beautiful day here in Kansas City. You know, I, I it is beautiful here in Iowa as well. <laughs> I'm not complaining at all, my friend. Hey, I, I've been following a little bit about what's going on in your association, and it's pretty remarkable. Uh, Charlet, you know, I've, I've been to beef shows all over this country, and uh, it wasn't always the fact that uh, the Charlet was was right up there, but you've just shared with me off mic about an exciting thing that happened in Canada and in the U.S. Share that story with us, will you? Yes, chap. So uh, I was fortunate to be able to go to Regina, uh, Saskatchewan this past fall for what they call the Canadian Agribition, which would be similar to what people here in Kansas City would, would recognize the American Royal or or even uh, in other states, the North American in Louisville or the National Western in Denver would be a show that lots of people would be familiar with. And um, so they at the end of the show up there, they have a a supreme, they pick a supreme champion bull and a supreme champion female over all breeds. And um, it would also include champion breed animals from other shows in Canada, like in Edmonton, they have a large farm show. And in Toronto, they have a, a large show. So those champions were also welcome to come. In the bull division, they had 47 entries. Uh. In, and the um, and the Charlet bull named Mayfield was selected as the supreme champion. Um, just prior to the aggravation, an interest in that bull sold to two operations here in South Dakota. And so they those those new owners, part owners, decided they wanted to show that bull in Denver at the National Western. And so they had him shipped down and right after the aggravation in Canada. And it turns out he was the champion Charlet bull in Denver as well. Wow. So um, quite a neat story, and uh, he's quite an amazing bull. How much of that can the association take credit for? I mean, you, you guys have been yeah. working at this in a long time, and and uh, yeah, go Certainly. ahead. You know, it, it's it that that's a that's a good question, but a hard one to put an answer on that would be definitive. Um, you know, our, our job here at the association is first and foremost to keep track of the registry and um and have a registration papers on those on those purebred animals uh, that the breeders send in and uh, so our job is to keep track of that that's the first and foremost thing why the association was formed but we also believe that it's our job to help uh, be a cheerleader for the breed and and to promote the breed and we publish a magazine 11 times a year so there are a lot of things that we do to encourage the breeders and so just promoting this story and talking about it uh, is one of those. And so at our national sale in Denver, we decided to sell the the, the one millionth registration, bull registration. And these folks who own this Mayfield bull decided that 
in their opinion, he's one in a million. So they bought <laughs> this opportunity for him to be the one millionth bull in our registration. So furthering that story and furthering capitalizing off of his success, um, that's what they chose to do. And and we, uh, we've recognized them in our journal. We're going to recognize them again this summer at our National Charlet Show in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It's a big deal. It really is. It is. And congratulations. How has the breed changed, Clint, over the years? You know, the, these cattle were first imported. Uh, um, they originated in France, I should tell you that. And there, there are lots of, lots of Charlet cattle in France. Um, th they would have made the trip into Mexico to begin with and th then came into the United States from Mexico, some of the very first Charlet, and eventually they were imported from France, and semen was shipped over from France for those that didn't necessarily want to uh, spend the money to get the bull brought in. They at least got semen where they could AI their cows, and so um, that some of those early uh, uh, recordations of, of cattle coming in would have been in the 1950s and, and in an early 60s, um, our association was first formed and, and headquarters were in Texas. And uh, so some of those first cattle that came over from Mexico, Charlet cattle, were used on one of the largest ranches in the U.S., which we now know as the King Ranch. And um, so south of San Antonio and that south part of Texas, those uh, Charlet cattle were crossed with uh, the females there on the King Ranch, the Santa Gertrudis females that were developed as a crossbred here in the United States. So they've been being used quite a while. The answer to your question is the big change that we've seen is that we, the breeders have reduced the birth weight mm. on the Charlet cattle. Um, that was one of the complaints in the early uh, cattle that came in was that their birth weights were higher than, than they were used to here with the English breeds, the Angus, the Hereford, the Shorthorn. And so the breeders worked hard to, um, to get the birth weights down on our cattle and they still grow fast. Um, I, I tell people that we are the Arnold Schwarzenegger of the cow business. Uh, that helps uh, particularly the folks uh, with a city background to have an understanding of, of what our cattle can do muscle-wise. But um, we had to get the birth weight under control, and they certainly have done that. Yeah, they are bulky. I'll give you that. Uh, is there a region of the country, Clint? Our guest is Clint Rusk, ladies and gentlemen. He's the executive vice president of the American International Charlet Association. Is there a section or a region of the country where Charlet really dominate? Well, as I said, they came into Texas to begin with, and that's a big state. And and um, there's still a lot of Charlet cattle in Texas um, because of their color, hide color. Um, they They're heat tolerant, and so they get along well there in some of those regions in the south where they have gulf air and and hot humid days for um, a number of months out of the year and so these cattle do well down there they, um, they they're able to take the heat and so they do cross well with brahmin and brangus and beef master and uh, a number of those breeds in addition to the santa gertrudis um, the, the cattle that we talk about having a touch of ear or mm -hmm. um, the boss indicus breeding seem to cross well with Charlet, and so um, they, they've remained a stronghold there. The interesting part to me, I've only been with the association since uh, November of 2021. These cattle also do well in the North Country. We talked about Canada already. Um, Charlet cattle are very popular in Canada, and so um, I can't explain 
how, how they adapt to that cold climate about as well as they do to the really hot climate. That's, uh, that seems fairly unusual, but, uh, but they do. And the other place that I saw this last year that I was impressed was they adapt in a, in a desert climate. Mm. Um, mm. I, I traveled to Nevada, out Winnemucca, Nevada. They had a video auction out there. And so I went and visited a herd, um, a gentleman that I had met at one of the Charlotte sales, and he took me to a pasture with 85,000 acres, oh. big, big pasture. But it didn't look like there was hardly anything out there for those cattle to eat. And so I thought when we found them, they would be thin and 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 not not very good looking. And that was not the case. When we found those cattle, they were in good condition and and quite impressive. And um, there still didn't look like there was anything out there to eat, but they were surviving. Wow. So um, they, they seem to adapt well and they seem to cross well with a lot of different breeds. I think those are two things that that are really uh, important about them and they're very efficient and very muscular cattle. Clint, as you look forward into the future a little bit, what do you think is the big issues for your breed, the Charlet? Well, the thing that we hear a lot about in recent years, especially with the American consumer and, and consumers in other countries, um, they they want to be involved with mm. meat product that's sustainable. That sustainability has become a, a buzzword, uh, as has the Green Revolution. And um, so they want cattle that are going to make a smaller carbon footprint. And we believe these cattle do that because they're very efficient. Um, th there's been research from the Meat Animal Research Center in Clay Center, Nebraska, that shows that these cattle um, can gain a pound out on grass, eating less grass than, than some of the other breeds. And in a feedlot setting where we would finish these cattle, um, they can put on a pound to gain with fewer pounds of grain. So they 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 do fit the green model and they are sustainable um, because of the smaller carbon footprint. So um, that, that's where I think they're going to fit in relative to the consumer. Um, we can trim fat off of cattle genetically because our cattle are very lean. And so they cross well with some of those breeds as we try to take them to heavier weights. Um, some breeds we'll start to put on extra fat and our cattle will help take some of that off um, the exterior of the carcass without interfering with the taste fat, the marbling on the inside of the meat. How does the uh, typical Charlet score when you're, when you're on the hook? I mean, you, you know, we, yep. yeah, yep. so ahead. they do, they, there's two grades that, that, that cattle are evaluated on, on, on the rail. And, and that would be quality grade, which would be based upon the amount of, of marbling or fat in the meat intramuscular fat, and then the yield grade, and the yield grade would be based upon how trim or how lean those cattle are. And so leanness and muscularity affect the yield grade, and our cattle would do well. That's a five-point system, and um, you get docked or you get less money if you have a yield grade four or five. Those would be the fatter, lighter muscled cattle. And so by crossing with Charlet, it helps you to reduce the amount of yield grade fours and fives. Some people say that these that our, our cattle don't marble as well. They don't have as much fat or taste fat in the meat. And yet crossed with the right breeds, um, dairy breeds, for instance, that we cross extremely well with, and they have a lot of marbling. So it makes a good uh, complementarity to cross our cattle with, with some of the English breeds, the dairy breeds. Um, and, and in most recent times, we've we have some breeders that are crossing them with Japanese cattle called Wagyu. Wagyu, yeah. And um, they people really love those the meat from those half Wagyu, half Charlotte cattle. 
interesting discussion with Clint Rusk, ladies and gentlemen. He's with the American International Charlet Association. I've learned a bunch, Clint, and I bet our listeners have too. Thank you so much, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. I've enjoyed it as well. Yes, indeed. That's the voice of Clint Rusk, American International Charlet Association. He's the executive vice president. It's great to talk to him. All right, coming up next, we're going to close the gate on this edition of the American Cattleman Podcast and visit with Ned Ledoux. Yeah, that's the son of one of my favorites, Chris Ledoux. Ned is following in his daddy's footsteps. He'll talk about that, his family, life on the road, and give you a sample from his latest album, Buckskin. Ned Ledoux, next on ACP. At TYM Tractors, our tractors are made to tackle each owner's distinct needs as they shape the world around them. We augment productivity through technology, quality, and durability, creating equipment specifically designed to deliver long-term value and overcome customer challenges. Check out our website, tym.world forward slash en hyphen us for more information. Welcome back to the American Cattleman Podcast. Jeff Ramsey with you. So great that you're along for the ride again today. Hey, before we close the gate on this edition, we got a special treat for you. We're going to talk with Ned Ledoux. If that last name sounds familiar, it ought to, because his father was a famous, famous cowboy singer. He was a 1976 bareback world champion and uh, tragically died at too young an age. But his son, Ned, has taken up the reins, and he's out there creating his own music, traveling, and really thrilling audiences all over. Ned, Welcome to the American Cattleman Podcast. Great to have you with us, sir. Well, thank you for having me. You know, they, so tell us about what the heck you're doing. I mean, I listen. I got to tell you, I listened to um, only one. That's a release of yours, and I'm sitting there going, "This sounds just like Chris." You got some magic going on there, brother. Well, yeah, I get that all the time. You know. People say I sound just like dad, and that's probably the best compliment I could get. You know, it's uh, it's not like I'm really trying to sound like him. That's just what, what just what comes out. Um, but yeah, the the latest single, Only Need One. Uh, yeah, we released that, oh, a couple months ago, I think. Uh, and just got news from my manager. He said it's at number 26 on the Music Road chart. So yeah. that's kind of exciting for a. a you know, inter- independent artist. And that's the other thing about what you're doing. Ned is, uh, you're an independent artist. Your, your, your father did the same thing. I mean, he, he didn't sign a contract with anybody for a long time and, yeah. uh, kept a hold of his original stuff for years. You're doing the same thing. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Dad released 22 albums on his own. Uh, it was under American Cowboy Songs, which was like a, an independent label of his, of his own. And then uh, in 1989, I think, was the year that uh, Capitol Records signed him to a, a record deal. Um, but, yeah, I'm just kind of doing my own thing, you know, yeah. writing my own stuff. And as far as the shows go, uh, we always throw in some of Dad's old classics. 
You got to do that. Yeah, I mean, the crowd, I'm sure, is is expecting some of that. I I remember yes. that, that capital signing. I think uh, Garth Brooks had a little something to do with that, wasn't he? Yeah, that was definitely a big help. Yeah, with uh, what you're going to do with the Cowboys, you know, was that that single. Right. Um, but, yeah, of course, back in 89 was when uh, Much Too Young to Feel This Damn Old came out. And, and yeah, that just really opened up the doors for Dad, but I think it opened up another door for, for Garth, you know, kind of introducing Dad's rodeo ranch family crowd to, to him. But uh, it made for a, a beautiful relationship. You know, those two were pretty good buddies. Yeah, it sure was. Ned Ledoux, ladies and gentlemen, he's on the horn with us. We're talking about his father, but let's get into Ned Ledoux. Now, you're writing some of your own stuff. You're traveling all over the place. I was on your website, and by the way, we're going to have a link to Ned's website on the radio blog so you have an opportunity to go visit and see where in the heck he's going to be and then maybe even download some of his music, buy some of his music, because it is it's darn good. It really is. And so tell us a little bit about the band, where you've been playing, what you got coming up in in the summer and into the fall. What's going on, Ned? Yeah, we're going to be all over the place. Um, uh, yeah, shoot. I mean, I don't have my calendar right in front of me. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, we're, we got a link. But so yeah, you can, just right. go to, you can go to the website and, and check out the, the tour dates. Um and yeah, the band, uh, it's a group of guys. We've all been together. I've known these guys since I was like some of them anyway, uh, since I was probably 13 or 14. And, uh, there's, uh, let's see, Mark Sissel on lead guitar, KW Turnbow on drums and myself. And also the, the sound guy, Mike Browning, uh, we all worked with dad. I played drums for dad. KW played drums. Mark played guitar and was road manager Mike Browning was the front of house sound guys Lane, and um, and for the rest of the guys Lane Turner on bass, David Crash on steel guitar, and also my little brother Will, who's been selling merch. Yeah, even back with with Dad, he's <laughs> he's out with us. So it's a very tight knit group. There's seven of us out there, and uh, yeah, everybody does their job very well. And uh, I've always been one to say that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So. Uh, this is a very well-oiled machine. There's not a lot of us out there on the road, but uh, we work very well together. Well, this is a, you know, when you go out on the road like this and you're making, you're in California and Wyoming and Idaho and all over the place, when you're doing that kind of stuff, that that can wear on the family as well, can't it? Yeah, it's hard to leave when you got little ones, um, but we, uh, we don't usually do too much like in the wintertime. You know, uh, we start getting busy probably, in, you know, in May and, and then all the way through October, we're, we're really busy, but, uh, just all that time spent at home is very precious. You know, we, uh, uh, never take it for granted. So yeah, just, uh, enjoy the time you do ha have at home and then, you know, we get out on the road, but we're never gone for, you know, more than maybe a week and a half. And then we come back home for, you know, three or four days and then we hit the road again for another week or so. And. Uh, and there's sometimes where the family could come out, you know, and enjoy, you know, a show or two. But, uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to leave, uh, nevertheless. Little known fact about uh, Ned is that he married a young lady from Kansas, I believe, and uh, it's a it's a twin, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We've been married a little over 15 years now. Wow. Yeah. You can't be that old, Ned. <laughs> 
Well, so so, so yeah. yeah, you you married a Kansas girl, and and um, she's a, a her sister is a twin, and and I know how close your family is up there in Casey, and Casey, Wyoming. And as a matter of fact, we even had a cattle dog by the name of Casey, in honor of yeah. uh, the ranch up there. But uh, it's exciting to see you pick up the reins and, and get out there and, and do all this. What what's the crowd like? What what kind of what kind of crowd are you playing to? You much like your fathers uh, did, or because you're all over. You're at this county fair and Mule Skinner days and all all over the place. They've been wonderful crowds, you know, and uh, you know, and after every show, I go out to the merch table and you know, take pictures and sign autographs and stuff. And, uh, you know, most of them have seen dad in concert. And, uh, and I guess in a way, um, for the younger crowd, you know, the ones that never did get to see dad live, um, or maybe they don't really know all of his music. Um, in a way I I feel like I'm maybe reintroducing dad's music to the next generation, I guess. Uh, and cause dad's fans are some of the best in the world. And for the ones that, grew up on dad's music, you know, say back in the eighties. Um, now they have kids and then their kids are, are having kids and they just keep on handing down that tradition of Ladue music. And, uh, so yeah, I'm just trying to carry on the tradition and, and also, uh, kind of pave my own road. Now this is for the American Cattlemen podcast. And I'll bet you that everybody that's listening to this is familiar with your father. And now they're going to become familiar with you, Ned Ledoux. And I think that's, that it really is, is carrying on this family tradition and, and making it real for so many people. Our guest is Ned Ledoux, and uh, we're talking about his career in music. Now, when, when your daddy was, was playing, and I've seen him many times in the later years when he was, uh, when he was really rocking it out with the Western Underground, uh, mm-hmm. lots of energy, high energy. I mean, he had a, what, a mechanical bull out there? He'd get on that thing and ride. <laughs> it was yeah. just a yeah. hoot. Um, so, similar show? Well, uh, th- that was Dad's show. Right. <laughs> you know, th- Dad, was, Dad was the rodeo rock star up there. I mean, yeah, that bucking machine, uh, which I was the one who, who uh, ran the thing. Uh, cause at the time there was two drummers, it was me and KW Turnbow. And so the last song of the, like the encore, uh, dad would have me get out from behind the drums and get back there and get the buck machine <laughs> going. And, and so he'd get up there and just nod his head and then he'd ride it for 15 or 20 seconds. And, um, but yeah, it was an amazing show and being the drummer for him for almost seven years, you know, I learned from the best, you know, I had the best seat in the house just to watch him and. And so with my show, and we try to keep it high energy, you know, we don't have the, the pyro and the, the bucking machine, that kind of stuff, but uh, um, we, we, we definitely have fun up there. Well, I would say that, you know, any offspring of your father would uh, have that energy and, and going to carry on the Ledoux name. I imagine folks are looking forward to seeing you jumping around and singing those songs and uh, you know, it, it is just such a pleasure. And, and because you and I have never met, well, maybe we had met. If you were working the merch table at some of these places, I probably saw you. But it was uh, it was amazing how similar you sound. And I know, I know that people who have heard your daddy and now come to see you 
are standing there, some of us, with tears in our eyes because that is one of the greatest tributes anybody can give to their parents is when they when they replicate that kind of a, a feeling in the fans that are, are watching. So it's just a it's just a great experience. What's next for you, Ned? Um, are you are you writing songs in the wintertime when you're kind of off? Oh, a little bit. Yeah. Uh, we, we got a, a one, one year old boy oh. just turned one, one on May 3rd. And, uh, so that, that kind of takes up a lot of my time <laughs> and yeah. I enjoy every second of it, you know, so I've never, you know, I just want to be there for him and the rest of the family. And, but yeah, I'm, I've been kind of getting back into some songwriting. Um, nothing's really finished yet, but, uh, my latest album buckskin, uh, it's been out for a little over a year now, I guess. So uh, it's still kind of learning how to fly, and uh, I'm just really enjoying, uh, you know, playing songs off of that. And you know, we we still got this single from there from that album out there still. So uh, yeah, I'll get back into the songwriting a little bit more serious. You know, maybe once we hit the road, uh, get out there and you know have a little time to sit in the back of the bus and put something together. We'll see. How, what's that process like, Ned? I mean, when you sit down to write a song, are you are you thinking back about something that happened to you, or or maybe some somewhere you want to go, or is it is it a mirror to the cowboy life? Well, songwriting for me involves a lot of pacing back and forth. Hmm. <laughs> you know, it's uh, and I'm sure every songwriter's got their own style. I, I no two are the same. Um, but yeah, you know, I just take a lot of notes you know i don't i've never been one to be able to get up in the morning and sit down at the coffee table with a guitar and notepad and just write a song you know i got to be able to bring something to the table first and so yeah i just you know take some notes here and there type something in my phone if i got a boarding pass i'll write a note on that and <laughs> and if uh you know if i get a, enough of these ideas and some time um some good quality time to sit down uh, in my basement that's usually where i do my writing and i'll just kind of dump all these notes out on the table and just kind of start piecing things together um but like i said there's a lot of you know getting up and walking away from it you know because um yeah, that 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 kind of works best for me is if i can get a a good start to a verse and a chorus mm. but if you can write a chorus that's that's half the song right that there. is half the song it. isn't it yeah because that's the body the chorus yeah. like three times so <laughs> but it's good to it's good to get up and kind of walk away from it for a while you know maybe give it a day and then come back and and see what else you can bring to it but uh it's definitely a process it's for me the hardest thing about you know putting out an album is the when you're writing your own your own songs right but, yeah but it's, it's fun too it's fun too so as you record these songs and these albums where, where are you doing that at i always go to nashville sure yeah, and my producer, uh, I've been calling him like the most wanted man in Nashville. He's the great Mac McAnally. And uh, he produced the last al last three albums that Dad put out. And uh, I'm just so honored to have him as my producer. And he's produced everything I ever put out. And uh, so, yeah, I go down there. You know, I don't spend a lot of time in Nashville. We live in northeast Kansas. Uh, but when it's time for me to get back in the studio, I'll just get a hold of Mac and He'll, he'll find a studio for us and go down there and we'll be in the studio for about two or three days and get everything tracked and all the vocals and stuff. And then, uh, 
and then they'll do the mi mixing and mastering and yeah so it's a uh, that whole yeah, thing pretty... yeah that whole thing ned is is quite a business isn't it i mean there's a lot people sometimes don't realize what goes into just creating that music that other people can enjoy you got to write it and then you got to arrange it and then you got to find a studio and get the crew together um, yeah. That, yeah. That's a, that's yeah, I, a guess, I guess probably the, the, probably the way I described it, it sounds kind of simple, <laughs> but there's a, there's a lot of phone calls being made and little, you know, things like that, that you, you got to get through. But, um, but yeah, the really cool thing about it is when it's all done, you know, and even if you, you know, you track one song and you listen to it back just to hear it come through the big speakers mm. and, uh, that's pretty neat. I was like, man, I wrote this song in my basement. I got, <laughs> got the idea from you know what it, wherever, and and here it is. Yeah, just like just like magic. <laughs> but yeah. a lot of work goes into that. Yeah, our guest has been Ned Ledoux, ladies and gentlemen, on the American <laughs> Cattleman Podcast. Ned, we certainly do appreciate you taking time to visit with us, and uh, good luck, and and thanks again to Mark. Um, Mark and I had a nice conversation the other day talking about uh, the music industry and all the things that he's doing. And, and, uh, I, I think you got a, well, you've got a long time friend helping you out there and that's always yeah. real positive. Yeah. Mark, he's, he's the best. Yeah. He's been the road manager and guitar player for dad, you know, for 16 years. And now he's, you know, still riding that Ledoux brand, you know, so that's, <laughs> Yeah, he's a good guy to have out there. Well, good stuff has got staying power, my friend. And Ned Ledoux, you certainly have staying power. So we appreciate your time, sir. Thanks so much. Well, thank you. That's the voice of Ned Ledoux. And if you've not heard his music, as we close the gate, here's a cut from his latest release. It's called Only One. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time on the American Cattleman Podcast. Telephone ring. No way back, friend Called to catch up Say, man, how you been? Said I ain't half bad But I'm holding it down Man, I got more Good things than I can count Well, I got One truck that's about paid off One fishing pole in the back One old pair of boots that fits just right One joke that'll make you laugh one day at a time I'm living the dream With a pretty girl from a one-horse town Puts a beer in my hand and a kiss on my cheek As the sun goes down When all is said and done You only get one life But with a life this good I guess you only need Sounds like you're doing pretty well. Said I ain't got it figured out, but as far as I can tell, the only guarantee around here's heaven and taxes. So it's a good thing I ain't looking for no greener grass. Since I got one truck that's about paid off, one fishing pole in the back, one old pair of boots that fits just right. One joke that'll make you laugh One day at a time I'm living the dream With a pretty girl from a one-light town Puts a beer in my hand and a kiss on my cheek 
Life this good. 